welcome to the Scottish Rugby Blog Podcast. I am Cammy Black and I'm joined this week by Rory Baldwin. Hello. And uh, we're also lucky enough to be uh, joined in his first appearance. It's blog alumni, current Rugby World Features editor, former SJA Rugby Journalist of the Year and the best thing to come out of Dundee six, since Miksu Patalainen. It's Alan Dimmock. Hello. Um Alan, it's your um, first time on the podcast, so you get the honour of telling us what club socks you'd wear if you played for the Barbarians. Um, what club socks would I wear? I think I would wear gold and white socks, which is from my my school team, uh, the high school of Dundee, because my mates uh, every summer will play in sevens events as well, and we still try and squeeze into our, our, our kit from when we were younger. So, yeah, gold and white. How is that working for you, squeezing it in the kit? Uh, I haven't played for the last few years and I've tried to tell people it's because my schedule's been pretty hectic but to be honest there's not enough grease in the world lad (laughs) Um, Right I've been trawling through your articles on the blog Um, the best one I found was you you once asked readers to suggest a forfeit for whichever one of you and your brother scored the least points in a season and Rory was going to pick the best one can you remember what happened because I couldn't find the result No that sounds like one of those great ideas that you have at the time and then completely (laughs) forget about it and to be honest, I'm pretty glad nothing came of it. Also, chances are high. What, what year was this? Um, must have been early on. So when did you start? Was it tw- you stopped in about 2012? So when when did you start? I mean, uh, judging by how long ago it would have been, I imagine we didn't get many replies either. <laughs> there was four, uh, I think there was four replies. I don't think anybody suggested anything too ridiculous. Too ridiculous. One of the best things we did with, with the bet. My brothers and I have bets all the time. And this one has never been claimed, but my little brother lost a bet to my older brother. And the the deal was what we were going to do is pick him up in a, an unmarked van at some point, take his phone, his keys, uh, his wallet off him, drive him to Perth, and he had to get his way back from Perth to Dundee on his own <laughs> without any help. Um, but we never actually did it, which means that at some it's going to be a real surprise when we do eventually catch him with that. <laughs> um, right, your first ever article um, in the uh, trend of uh, the blog at the time was uh, in support of Dan Parks, but also uh, Fraser Climo, you were predicting as a future uh, 10 for Scotland. Oh, oh, great. Anyone know what happened yeah. to Fraser Climo? Fraser Climo went to play professionally in Wales. Um, uh, he, was, he was with the Scarlets for a while. Uh, and then he went back to air. Um, and, you know, look, I can only spot the talent. You know, I can't <laughs> make them make them achieve. Uh, well, you know what? Support of Dan Parks, that sounds like such a worthy cause. Uh, and no, no offence, Rory, I know you're a massive fan of... Um, uh, <laughs> you're a massive bigger. fan of world-class um, Phil Godman, so uh, you'd probably pick him over Dan Parks. But you know what? These guys need love. Is that yeah. why you took Alan on, Rory? So, yeah, he was the, he was the counterbalance. Counterbalance there. <laughs> to be honest, it was because he was keen. Um, well, um, I was going to try and do a link to Fraser Climo, but no one's mentioned that he's from New Zealand. But as we're speaking about New Zealand, um, right. well, well, oh, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the match. Um, it's hard to know where to start. We could probably fill about three podcasts with this. Um, but Rory, you tweeted at the end of the game that that might have been Scotland's best performance. Do you have you had time to reflect on that? Um. It's certainly, it's certainly, I would say, the best performance uh, in the life, lifetime of the blog, which gives us ten years of, of mostly bad performances, and, and is almost it's hard it's hard to make sweeping statements like that these days because there's so many people on social media who will point out something that you've forgotten about. But um, yeah, I would I would say I would say so given the level given the level of opposition. I mean, they've, you know, they've they've had big results probably. Um, a couple of games. I mean, the game against Australia in the summer was probably up there in terms of the kind of level level of performance and level of execution. So to have two games that are there thereabouts in a year is a, is it a good sign of an, an upward trend? I think. Yeah, and Alan, your reaction I think at the end was it's time to knock off the patronising plucky or brave chant. I think John Barkley said as much too. Um, is it time to start holding Scotland to to a higher standard? Yeah, I think so. And actually, I think that starts next week. So. You know, if Scotland, depending on, well, firstly, Scotland now, because of that, the performance that they put in, they now need to win. They have to win. Uh, otherwise, they should rightly, I think, take pelters. Because 
to perform that well and then back it up like they did in the summer by playing so putting in the performance that Rory's just mentioned there against Australia and then oh no oh banana skin against Fiji they can't do that this week um, so you know they now have to be held to a higher standard I d- that doesn't mean that people go overboard by saying things like well they're they're nailed on Six Nations favourites now bookies are slashing odds because you know what the Six Nations is really strong Um but yeah, I think let's start holding holding them to task a, little, a bit more now. So, you know, none of this pat on the head and tell everyone how fantastic it is and everyone's so brave. The word brave should be banned from now on uh, in talking about Scotland. But you know what? This is and it's all a positive thing as well. That might sound a bit negative, but actually, it's a really positive thing because they've done so well. Screw it. You know, let's start expecting better and more and more of it often. Yeah, well, I think I think that's what we've been saying for a while on the podcast and on the blog. Is, blog is it's it's time to hold them to that higher standard. It's time to be a bit harsher and critical. And and for me, it felt more like that Scot- Scotland lost that game rather than they were beaten. If that makes sense, they you know they butchered chances in the twenty two. They made, you know they, 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 they there was they left points out on the field. Um, but maybe I don't know. There's a lot of chat, Rory, about being unlucky with the referee. I mean, do you think that's fair, or is that just an excuse? Well, I mean, the, the referee, we, we, um, Alan and I were talking about this during the during the game with, uh, with other Alan about the referee, and he did he did butcher a couple of fairly big calls. Um, the Naholo high high tackle or tackle in the air in the first half. Um, the Kieran Reid sort of knock on slap down thing. But um, that you know, close to the end of the game that that's popped up this week. Um, but I mean, yeah, you you can't, you can never, you can never blame the ref because you know I'm sure there would be a bunch of things that the, the Kiwis would find that the ref missed um, that the, the Scottish players were up to. Um, yeah, well, it, it's your job to manage the ref, really. Yeah, and and on that as well, this weekend of all weekends as well, where uh, we saw in the England game management of referees. Uh, which happened when uh, Owen Farrell came in. Owen Farrell was captain at the time uh, against Australia, and they managed to get a, a. They were looking at the grounding from about 25 billion angles, I think, and eventually they went back to blocking because Owen Farrell had a, a whisper in the ref's ear. That's good captaining, but I'd also say that Scotland can't complain too much about the refereeing because what you want is decisiveness. Now, the, I, I'd agree that you can you can probably have a gripe about the referee uh, Matt Carley changing his mind because he was going to give a yellow card for mm. the homeless mm. tackle and the TMO swayed him by suggesting maybe you might want to downgrade it for extenuating circumstances I don't believe when you're taking someone out in the air extenuating circumstances really cuts it because you know you could sneeze or you could have your eyes closed or you could do someone could be shouting something about your mother and you, you know, and then you're still taking someone out in the air. So I'm a bit surprised that that was downgraded. However, you know, let's not forget how rare it is to see such an ill-disciplined performance from the All Blacks, and to see them get two yellow cards for slaughtering Scottish ball five meters from the line. You know, and those were good calls. Those were right calls from the referee. You got to, yeah. you got to praise him for 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 doing that right. And if he misses a slap down, you know, as frustrating as it will be for fans, you know, Scotland still didn't do as well. And this is one of the things that they can work on for next week is when they got 10 metres, 5 metres from that New Zealand line, they weren't quite clinical enough. And that's what they'll need to change for Australia. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think especially in the first half, they were in the 20... Well, I think overall they were in the 22 10 times. I think someone was tweeting today, which... You know the lines weren't even in the twenty-two for two of the tests. I think um, anywhere near ten times. So that, I mean that's progress, but they were still quite slow, Rory. I mean it seemed at times a bit like Scotland of old, just pressing the try line and not really achieving much. Yeah, I mean we've sort of we've sort of become used to um, to the kind of the cl- clinical Scotland who are are getting um, you know that Glasgow back division are, are getting quite cr- um, clinical at, at finishing off finishing off chances. Um, but yeah, you you have to accept that they were you know they were they were having to step up a level and they weren't they weren't quite uh, quite doing it. I mean before, you know Scotland would do that against everybody, and now you know we may still see them see them do it against the very best because the best teams put you under that much more pressure that you're um, that you're having to you know you're having to concentrate 
um, that much harder. And maybe maybe they weren't. I mean, there was um, Hugh Jones had a pretty clear cut chance in the in the first half where he um, where he sort of knocked on the knocked on a pass when and you would have backed him if he if he'd got it to um, to go in and score or, or give a scoring pass to whoever was outside him. Um, but maybe you know that's what he was thinking as well, and he didn't quite focus on on uh, catching it. But yeah, I mean the Kiwis will pull out every trick in the bag to to stop you at that, at that range, and um, you have to be pretty switched on to to make the most of it. I think I think one of the important things as well is the idea of mental fortitude, because now a lot of the chat was when Scotland went down by a couple, couple tries and they were under the sticks, and they calmly came back. That's that's a big theme of this game, but also it it works on a, a player by player level. So, for example, you look at Tommy Seymour. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he's going to could come off that game and say I had a fantastic time on the pitch there. Mm. You know, he made some glaring errors. However, to come back and chase down that that grubber from Hogg and to to feed Hugh Jones, that's the kind of thing where you can get over those errors. And in Scotland teams of the past. Have have always struggled to get over those blips. You've seen players uh, in a Scotland jersey sometimes try too hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas to see him do that, I think that's one of the things that fans will be most impressed by. Um, that idea of blips can be overcome collectively, but and but individually as well. And and also there's one thing you you mentioned statistics there, um, and we're we're talking about attack, but actually if you look at defence, I've just seen the statistic here from from a fella Simon Gleave. Uh, who's looking at the the number of times that the All Blacks entered the opposition 22 in the last 12 tests, and they only entered Scotland 22 six times. How mm. how incredible is that? Yeah, for their defence to hold that. And I suppose well, for, so yeah, for those times to try. So you've, I mean, that's that's a pretty good return for Scotland. Mm. Um, the, the, I mean, we're talking about mental fortitude, and one thing I mean, with the benefit of hindsight is the last run by Hoggy. And you, you look at the New Zealand game against Ireland a few years ago where, you know, we went to something ridiculous like 85 minutes and New Zealand took it from their, their own try line, I think, and, and scored after 85 minutes. And th- that's what I wonder is the difference. And, and, and it's, I suppose it's a learning point for Hoggy is he, he went for the try line. He had support. Should he have taken contact and recycled it? Or do you think, do you think he was always going to be bundled in touch uh, well, I suppose it's it's the what if question, isn't it? I mean, no one in the history of Scottish rugby has anything anything to compare this to, because no one's, with the exception of uh, Peter Dodd's kick on the touchline. You know, this is that's completely different. You know, this is that was an opportunity to beat the All Blacks, but it was a kick from the touchline that was missed. This was an opportunity to beat the All Blacks with the most exciting player on the pitch having a go. Mm. Um, so you can't blame him, really, for trying to pin his ears because he skinned everyone else. Damien McKenzie could grab nothing but dust um, trying to get hold of him. Now, it just so happens that Bowden Barrett is, um, and it, I was going to say a swear word there, but he's something <laughs> off of a shovel. He's pretty quick. He, he's he's pretty rapid. So, you know, and, and, and as Steve Hansen said in the press conference afterwards, it took a special player to catch a special player. Um, that's fair enough. If ifs and buts were chips and putts, we'd all be millionaires. Maybe he could have put his foot on the ball and he could have just a, a little gentle grubber and no one would have got anywhere near it. Mm. These, are, these are what ifs. There's no way of knowing. Uh, it was heat of the moment and you know what? I was too busy standing up to try and see what the hell was going on to, to, to really think what other options he had. I don't know about you, Rory. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, I mean, it was interesting because we, you know, because it was New Zealand we were playing, we never, I, I never really kind of gave credence to the idea that Scotland might actually be capable of, of nicking it. Even, I mean, even when Hugh Jones kind of scored his try and I thought, no, they'll, they'll still, they'll still find a way. But then when we had the possession, I thought, okay, well, um, I'll actually back, you know, I'd back this Scotland team to, to score tries about, against just about anyone. So there is at least a chance. It's not like, um, it's not like a few years back when, when, you know, you, when the guys couldn't buy a try and you would just think, well, they're going to batter here, but they're going to ultimately come up short. You know, there's a very real chance that, so obviously, when Hogg found a little gap, you thought, "Well, okay, yeah." But um, yeah, I mean, I think he was he was pretty well marshaled, and and there were probably I think it was he had McGuigan inside him possibly, uh, but there were another two All Blacks as well. So they would have they would have had to do very well to to you know if he'd managed to offload it backwards for it to work that way. 
maybe maybe he could have cut inside, um, but uh, he he might have been smothered because he was probably out on his own a bit. Yeah, I suppose I suppose though it's all a learning point, isn't it? Like we were saying earlier, it's it's something we, we've Scotland haven't been in that position before. They've been in that position now, and it's experienced. They might do things differently next time. Um, but um, I'll, um, official man in the match is Stuart Hogg, and that's who Rory went for as well. I mean, it's hard not to disagree with that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you agree? And is there any, who else in the back stood out for you? Who else in the backs? Well, I think Hugh Jones just gives you. He's, he plays with such balance, which is an incredible thing for a man. I mean, I suppose in the grand scheme of things in modern rugby now, you wouldn't say he's enormous, but he's got he's got good feet for a big man. Um, he just there's something he's he's he can do everything, and that's that's the incredible thing. And the, for Scotland to be able to rely on him, that's fantastic. The the biggest question mark, I suppose, is whether Dunbar will pull through and be fit, and when when that means that possibly Pete Horn comes in. Um, that's where you've got to probably change tack with that back line. But I think Hugh Jones is so versatile that he can do. He'll be able. He'll be fine. You don't really have to worry about him in the midfield. I'll tell you what as well. Lee Jones deserves a lot of credit for the work that he did. Mm. Um, you know, he, he eventually went off for Byron McGuigan, as you, you mentioned there. Um, I think four four years ago, you you wouldn't have said Lee Jones would be able to be capable of performance like that and it's fantastic credit to him as a professional to see where he's to see where he's come to but there's a lot of talk about the backs and who are impressive there if you look at the forwards it's rare to see a captain's knock as good as that from mm. John Barkley I mean I was I was blown away sure he gave away a couple of penalties but you're playing against the All Blacks there's going to be penalties all over the shop and Referees are going to be particularly on edge at the breakdown. I thought there was one call where John Barkley absolutely murdered the ball in the middle of the park, and the referee was Carly was pretty much screaming at him to get off it, and he just didn't quite do it. Mm. However, you've got to say that fantastic effort from him and Stuart McAnally. What a what a series he's having! Yeah, I, I what I thought was impressive, and I don't know, I don't know where the call came from, but. Um... When Turner came on and McAnally packed pack down um, at six, I think, and and there was a, something must have clicked, and we've not seen this in Scotland before. I think is that 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 decision making come to the fore where I'm assuming McAnally, because I know he's in charge of the scrum, realizes that the front row is in trouble and switches yeah. himself back. And I'm assuming I, I'm assuming that was an on pitch decision, um, possibly radioed down from the box. I don't know, but. That that impressed me because I think in the past Scotland just would have soldiered on, but somebody somewhere has gone. Look, the front row is struggling. Let's just switch things around, and it worked. Yeah, and the, I mean that that is the the concern. But there's only so much you can do about the way the scrum is performing because of the personnel changes that they've, you've got to have. I mean, already we're looking at, it, you know, uh, Daryl Marfo's had the match of his life. Uh, against the All Blacks, but we're looking at his ankle there. Um, a couple of flankers down. Um, there's big. There's going to be big changes. There's, there's personnel. Sander Ferguson might not pull through uh, from the return to play process. So you could be looking at Simon Bergen packing down at tight head. I mean, few would have predicted that. So for them to soldier on, and that's one of the biggest things as well. If you go back to the concept of men's fortitude uh, that we were talking about before, to have personnel changes like that chucked in, to have uh, a somewhat lengthy break for your substitute flanker to go off and to then come back from that and let it not affect you in any way, that's that's impressive. Um, but, you know, the forwards are going to be having a... It'll be a much lighter week this week for them in training, but the forwards are going to have a hell of a time studying the, the tape uh, for scrum time because that's where the biggest improvements need to come. How did, well, I was going to say, given you're a former front row, how did you feel the scrum went? Because I think generally, looking across the match, it, it, it wasn't bad, given the opposition. Yeah. There's room for improvement, given, but given that's not the first choice front row. Yeah. I mean, is there is there signs of... I mean, is the Scotland scrum going forward or backwards overall, I guess is the question. It's shifting. It's moving. And the thing is, is what, so what... Test referees are spoken to. So if you if you listen to the referee, if you're watching it on telly, or if you had a a ref link in your ear, you keep hearing this phrase over and over again. And in fact, I watched the match back yesterday on on um, the BBC, and it was a phrase that uh, Mossy and uh, Paul O'Connell kept using in commentary as well. 
you'll keep hearing people use this phrase of show me a picture. You've got to show the referee a picture. So what that means is, um, people can't see what I'm doing with my hands here, but <laughs> if you imagine if you imagine the perfect scrum, what a referee needs to be shown by you is straight back, good angle of your legs, uh, chest chest over chest over your knees, head up, uh, pushing pushing straight ahead, having a good bind that is recognisable as a good bind. That is what the referee is looking for as a picture. Very early in the match. You could hear the conversation between him and Daryl Marfo saying, you need to need to make a space with your head to let the opposition tight head in. You need to show me a good picture there. He used the phrase picture a couple of times. And I think what had happened is he basically had made his mind up by that stage that the All Blacks were better placed to show him a good picture and Scotland weren't quite there. And the thing is, is that Scotland had to make little adjustments here and there. They were going back or they're being shunted or they'd... But the problem with that is when someone slides down and nine times out of ten it was the Scots that pulled it down, but the referee decided that's the way it goes. So what Scotland need to do against Australia is they need to be as clean-looking as possible with everything they do. They need to bind fantastically well, and they need to look great. You, if you're getting pummeled backwards, most of the time the scrum will still wheel in some way. You give yourself a better chance with the referee if he thinks, I like what I see here, even if they're getting hosed. Now, that comes down to the personnel as well. Scotland would love to be able to have WP now starting but they can't. He's got a dicky arm. They'd love to be able to say that Xander Ferguson is completely fit. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Um, Daryl Marfo, you're going to have to wait and see as well. So suddenly you've got this situation where you're saying, right, what can we do best with these guys? Well, at least drill them to look as 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 nice as the referees <laughs> as possible. Which seems like a counterintuitive thing because really in a test week build-up, all anyone's really thinking of is murdering the opposition. Rory, um, Alan's gone for John Barkley as a standout on the backs and, and McAnally. I mean, do you agree with that? Anybody else stand up for you? Um, yeah, I would. I would. Uh, I would say that was that was pretty pretty spot on. Um, Johnny Gray, I thought had uh, had a, a big game. Um, we're looking for him to have a big game at the start, and uh, yeah, he he had one of those one of those games where he's he's actually sort of ball carrying and does a bit more of the noticeable noticeable stuff um, along with you know the the, the hard work in defence that, that we've come to expect from him. Um, I was quite impressed by Luke Hamilton's cameo, which was a bit brief um, when he, you know, he, he was on for about 30, 40 minutes um, once Hamish Watson went off. And he's actually, I mean, he, he's got a bit of a sort of baby face, but he's actually a lot bigger than um, bigger than the, he looks in the photos. It's going to be a nightmare um, for commentators when Richie Gray comes back with the two of them on the pitch. Yeah. Hmm. Um, maybe they should just all dye their hair, dye their hair blonde. <laughs> Could be a good tactic, uh, yeah. Confuse the opposition, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, he had he had a couple of a couple of big carries, and he looked, you know, he looked like a, a physical customer. So, um, whether whether he could be he could be an option at number eight in the future, um, again, it'll have, we'll have to see how his, his knee is, but or his, his um, ankle, I think they said it was, yeah. Um, but there's, uh, yeah, we'll we'll not see him we'll not see him this weekend. So uh, back to the back to the selection box, I, I guess. Um, one it's, not, thing, it's not quite Christmas yet, Rory. Yeah, one thing. Uh, one thing I, I was quite interested in is John Welsh got called up, who last featured against Australia in the World Cup, um, oh, which, we, which I'm sure he wants to forget. But yeah, um, yeah so he uh, he could he you know they might they might rush him in. I don't. Some sometimes it you know it doesn't seem fair to to bring in someone who's maybe an established test player or who's got a lot of caps. Um, just just because he has a lot of caps when, and you need someone in his position when there's other guys who've been training, you know, for the last for the whole of the series and maybe haven't had a chance. But I guess Tooney will, you know, he's I think he's ruthless enough to to do what he thinks needs to be needs to be done. Um, there, Sean Maitland was called up as well and Fraser Brown, so um, he does have a he does have a bit more experience to call on this week if if he needs it. Well, yeah, I mean that brings us on um, nicely to to next week. So um, injuries aside. Um, Alan, you keeping things the same? Um, well, I, I suppose it depends on the kind of game plan you want, but certainly the before Scotland got to the ten meter line or or just inside the twenty two, the tempo that they played that was fantastic. So that tells you that whatever happens, you want Russell and um, Price yeah. dictating terms. So if you've got that, you then go, right, what else do you need to give balance? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Hugh Jones gives you fantastic balance. So you don't want to change that. 
Seymour and Hogg, absolutely in tandem. That's great. So actually, when you, you look at that, you say the core of the same squad is exactly what you want against there. Uh, in there, so the rest of it comes down to fitness calls. If you wanted, to, I mean, I hope that Daryl Marfil's fit, if only just because he deserves uh, deserves the chance to see out this the, these November tests. Yeah. Because mm. I'll, I'll I'll not lie about it. I was skeptical about him coming in. Uh, you know, based on the fact that he'd had a, a couple of Premiership starts in six years in in the Premiership. Uh, he'd come to Edinburgh, and it just seemed like everything had sort of fallen into place for him, and he, he'd taken his chance well. You know, Richard Cockrell was clearly very chuffed and surprised to see to see him where he was. And you know what, he's proved he certainly proved me wrong with his performances so far. So I'd like to see him him come in. And McAnally, regardless of who's fit or coming in, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk before before um, these tests about whether Ford would be fit or not. And it doesn't matter to be honest because McAnally is in such fantastic form, and he's in one of these guys who's grown in stature throughout the, these November tests and again once you start talking through this Barkley at the back uh, I think you kind of have to play Dupria um, due to injuries um, and also to give him another run at number 8 because it's so rare um, to see him there suddenly you go well that's the spine of a team so I think actually I've just done a roundabout way of telling you <laughs> yeah keep it mainly the same yeah um, Rory I mean speaking of Dupree, I mean he had a decent game I think a lot of people weren't sure given his previous um, previous appearances in a Scotland shirt, albeit brief. Um, are you going to keep things the same? You agree with Alan on that? Yeah, I think um, uh, yeah, uh, he's he's right. Um, the the core of that team, um, basically the ones that are not injured, are the ones that you would, you would pick them pretty much regardless. McAnally is, you know, he's he's got an, he's got the he's got the hooker shirt. There's possibly an option. I think if Brown's fit, bring put him onto the bench because. They're both quite. They're both quite similar. I mean, they could be. Um, they, the pair of them probably suit the the plan that the Townsend has more than say Fordy does. So, um, yeah, maybe bring Brown in on the on the bench. Um, the back back row is tricky. I guess we'll probably see Barkley move into seven, and then that opens it up. There's perhaps a, a sort of bigger selection of uh i almost said selection box again there um there's probably a bigger uh, a bigger range of, of kind of six six slash eights that he could they get that he could put in there um i guess wilson is the front runner if he's fit but um maybe maybe jamie ritchie or, or bradbury have, have earned a shot it's um it's quite a big game to throw jamie ritchie into but he's you know he's, he's played pretty well this season he'd probably be the one in terms of the in terms of form um it'd be worth a shot yeah, coming coming back to um, what was said there about Dupriya, um I was also thought at the start of the game there was a there was a ball that he dropped on the touchline, mm. and uh, you know Scotland had fantastic momentum. That was a real theme as well of of the week was people forcing passes, and that's the kind of thing you uh, fans would want to see a little bit less of against Australia. But also you've got to Townsend's not the kind of guy you hear players all the time talk about. We'll play our game. We don't need to worry about the opposition. I'm all right, Jack. Which is one of the biggest fallacies in rugby because you have to play against what you expect to come up. And in fact, Townsend said after the game on Saturday that he they know Australia well because they played them twice already in the last 12 months. So they know what to expect. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see Australia uh, recently. Um, I saw them against Japan. Uh, I watched... Uh, the, the the highlights from Twickenham um, and seeing a lot of what they've expected from Corey Betty. Um, if you've watched him, he's an absolute wrecking ball of a winger. So Scotland have to, at least tactically, have to look at what Australia can bring. If they know them so well, they know what's coming. So they have to play a certain style to take on this Australia team. They know it's coming big. So what's going to happen is you're going to see Johnny Gray, who led well as well at the weekend, will probably become such a prominent figure on on Saturday because of the way that they have to play against these Australians, because of the way they've been shifting it around and cutting angles. Scotland are going to have to tighten it up at times. It's great that they can cut loose, and that's fantastic, but they need to iron out the errors, those, those silly offloads that they don't need, and they need to tighten it up at certain times against Australia, and that's probably what they'll be working on this week. So, Rory, because um, I forgot last week, we'll do Al Kay's um, this weekend, head, heart, and ass. Right. 
what 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 are you predicting for Scotland? Um, well, uh, heart, heart is obviously heart is obviously the win. Um, but I think actually head head is the win. I mean, we saw what a big difference the crowd made. Um, Ali Price talked about it after after the match in the in the press conference that you know he, he said along the lines of you've got no idea of what you know that noise that many people cheering you on can what sort of buzz that gives you as a player um, and kind of spurs you on to the to the next level and I think that's possibly the advantage that we have which maybe we don't get so much in the Six Nations when the crowds are a little bit I mean not fifty fifty but um, that certainly there's more opposition opposition support um, in the November games. You know, it's clearly a massive home crowd, and uh, and that gives that gives them the edge. So I think I think um, we should we should be able to beat Australia. Um, so I don't I, I guess I don't really have an arse prediction. <laughs> well, what what about I've, points? Do you do um, point difference for us? Points difference. Um, well, I I picked uh, I actually picked uh, Scotland to win by two against New Zealand, which had um, had Hoggy scored his try and Finn converted would have been spot on. So um, I'm gonna. I'm going to stick to that one again. I'll say Scotland by two again this week and see what hold happens. On. Hold on. You can't hold up something and say, well, if this had happened, that I would yeah. definitely bang on right. I was, I was spot on, yeah. So what do you mean by arse? With head, heart and arse, what does arse represent? Just the worst case scenario? Uh, no, guess, it's like talking out your arse, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it was talk, talking from We've his head. We've just been doing that for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, sum up then against Australia. Head, heart and arse, Alan. Head, heart, okay. Head. Well, oh, heart, it's, it's rare for me to have the luxury of being a fan. So heart, I'd say, well, yeah, obviously, heart would suggest that Scotland get the equivalent of a try bonus and and win. Um, head, head would suggest at least going with form, and you can chuck out any, any notion of backlash from Australia because... Well, to be honest, it's Test Rugby. It's always going to be everyone's going to be gunning for it. So, if if the crowd turns up, head, I would say, yeah, Scotland by six, maybe. Um, with head just going on on recent head head to heads, and arse, ooh, arse. I reckon. I mean, certainly, one of the scariest things would be hat trick for Corey Betty because they can. Direct running from some of the Karevi Kurudrani and Korobeti is terrifying at times. There was, there was, speaking to people in the Southern Hemisphere, one of the biggest concerns they had was that it was just going to be rugby league style running straight at, I mean, uh, that's, a, a, pays a complete disservice to rugby league. But the irrational fear was that these guys would just run at people that it would be pretty one dimensional and that nothing much would happen. What they've actually done is they've managed to bust holes, get offloads away and Scotland were susceptible to that when Sonny Bill Williams at the weekend. Mm. So that's the fear, I suppose. Arse, the fear is Coroy Betty and Karevi causing havoc, busting holes and offloading. Okay. Um, well, on that depressing note, we'll move on. Comment of the week. Right, it's time for a comment of the week. Um, it's our look at the blog just to see what you guys have been saying. Um, Rory, have you picked one? I have, yes. Um... I've gone for Andrew McGavin, who said, uh, even though we've every chance of winning well, we shouldn't pretend it's going to be easy against Australia next week. Uh, They were really unlucky to lose the way they did against England. They thought they were cheated at key moments and will be massively fired up. We'll need to show the same heart, perhaps with greater accuracy, in order to beat them. Looking forward to a great game. Um, I would would echo that, although obviously um, what Alan said just now about the backlashes and stuff, you you take that with a a pinch of salt, but... um, it's less about the backlash and more about them sort of salvaging, salvaging a bit of something from the tour. I would say, so they'll be they'll be very keen, um, and they certainly won't be won't be afraid to to, to come up to Murrayfield and BT Murrayfield. BT Murrayfield, yeah. Pop. Are they are they they're not touring for like another three months or something? They've got what? like the most ridiculous. It's like this tour that Australia are on to the to the northern hemispheres. It's a bit like the old fashioned ones when you basically had to take a paddle steamer and you were away for like. <laughs> When you got home, your child had gone from a newborn to being five years old. That's basically what it feels like with these Australians. They're playing here, there, and everywhere, all over the gap. Have they got another game after Scotland? They must you know what? Do, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, Alan, did you get a chance to pick any comments from the blog? I did not, I'm afraid. I'm no, so that, that was okay. Um, moved on to bigger and better things. 
Um, yeah, I've gone with um, Matto, um, who said it's fantastic to witness Lee Jones's return, an integral part of Ember's run to the Heineken semis. But I also remember him getting flattened in a test, which he didn't seem to recover. Seemed to lose his confidence and fell out of favour at both Edinburgh and Scotland, but came back much stronger for his stints with the Sevens in Glasgow. I don't think he should be dropped to accommodate Maitland, who's only had one appearance since returning from injury. Maitland and Brown would add a fair bit of impact and experience to the bench, though, which sort of echoes what we've said in the podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, as a as a suitor, it's great to see uh, Selkirk lad doing well in the uh, in the Scotland team. I think I've said before. I think if if Borderers ever leave the Scotland team, it's like the Ravens at the Tower of London. The whole the whole thing just collapses. Um, well, as, as King Caledonians here, I don't know if I, I agree. Yeah. With that. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that. Um, right. Yeah, we'll... It does. It doesn't look like Australia have a, have any further games after after Scotland, but they just might not be in this particular app. Yeah. No, you're right. They haven't. I've just checked as well. They but they did don't. that. Yeah, but they did that mad thing where they came via Japan, though, didn't they? They did. I was at that game actually. Yeah. It was um, in Yokohama. It was. It was brutal the way that some of the rugby Australia played actually in that game. Um, you know, uh, particularly with, uh, with the with the midfield of Henry Spate on one wing, Corey Betty on the other, and Karevi and Kurajani, uh, the Japan team just didn't know where they were going with that one. It was they had, it was they had the reverse lights on constantly. What was the reception like in Japan? I mean, was that did that get game get much coverage in advance of the World Cup? They actually. I don't know if you could predict what it will be like in the World Cup because it's a couple of years away. And there, you saw some unique quirks to what crowds are like <laughs> in Japan. So the mayor of Yokohama was predicting that 50,000 people would turn up to this. <laughs> sem- to 72,000, um, I think 72,000 capacity stadium. But they predicted, oh yeah, 50,000 people will turn up. They only sold 30,000 tickets and they were panicking. But because it was such a nice day, an extra 10,000 people rocked up. To go to the stadium, which tells you a little bit about how unique like lifestyles are in Japan. You know, you're just walking down the street, you go, it's a bit sunny, there's a lot of people queued over there. <laughs> oh yeah, there's Test Rugby on, let's go and watch that. Um, but it was it was an interesting it was an interesting affair. Um, it was you know surprising to come from that match and then seeing Japan uh, uh, smash Tonga actually hmm. at the weekend. So they've progressed at least in the short time since I last saw them. Um, but Australia have been have been rolling along with this this backline that they've got, and I, that's why I, I think I can say with some confidence when when the, those um, key players in that midfield for Australia roll, as I said earlier, um, they can do really well. But I'll tell you what, World Cup in Japan is going to be cool. You're going to need to remortgage your house and sell a kidney or a kid, but by the time you get out there, it'll be really it'll be really cool. Yeah, how is the stadium Yokohama? Because that's where we're playing Ireland, I think. Yeah, it is. And obviously when Scotland get all the way to the World Cup final as well, you'll be there as... Uh, all right, awesome. So, against, yeah. the, against the All Blacks that we are now not scared of. Yes, exactly. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was cool enough. I was I was in the press box, so I didn't really get a chance to walk around too much. Um, I did hear a rumour that they ran out of beer in the cheap seats on the other side of the stadium before kickoff. But that's why we go through these things, so that you can learn <laughs> from your mistakes and make sure... I mean, that reminds me of my parents were, were uh, at the... When Italy were introduced to the Six Nations and Scotland first played out there, my parents, I remember them telling me, horrified when they returned, that the pubs had run out of beer. Didn't happen again the next year, though. No, <laughs> they all learned their lesson. Yeah. Well, we looked high and we looked low, we seemed to get back on in speedos, but I just want to know, did you see the legend that's Doogie Donnelly? Right, it is time for Where's Doogie Donnelly? It's, um, it's our... Um, bit of a celebrity spot section um of the podcast where we ask if you've seen any uh scottish rug uh, sporting media personalities out and about and we've also expanded it to be our rumors section because that's what you do in uh, rugby podcasts now um you both obviously heard the big big money move for finn russell yeah yeah big yeah. big money move uh switch banks sounds like everything's sorted 200 pound cash back so that's obviously his big money move um but I mean, I, I mean, there is the that obviously the news came out yesterday. Slightly caught me off guard, um, having laid a bet with the guys from the Thistle Rugby Pod saying it wouldn't happen, um, and then Glasgow promptly announced that um, he was going. So um, the bet's still outstanding because um, the, the bet is dependent on him move, moving to Racing. Um, so there's still an outside chance I might win it. But um, yeah, you, you send an email to Vern. 
Well, I've just I've confidently just written um, last night on Twitter. Um, I've, I'm hearing it's Montpellier lads, just in the hope that someone somewhere will pick that up and run with it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the Racing ones come from Midi Olympique, uh, the the sports paper in France, um, because Dan Carter is strongly rumoured to be going to Japan next year, and so there's there's a, a berth there, and obviously quite a few funds are freed up with Dan Carter moving away elsewhere. Um, so. I suppose it could be a big money move. Um, I think it's not a surprise for a lot of people that Finros has gone. Firstly, because he's not made no secret that as a young man uh, with an adventurous spirit that you've seen from him, um, and not shy of travelling as well, uh, he's always he's made no secret that he wants to go abroad. But also, uh, secondly, is his his, um, his father uh, very recently left a role with the SRU, um, and there was some mumblings that. You know, maybe it was a good chance for the for everyone else to have a bit of a change. Um. So, but you can't blame Finn Russell. I don't. I don't think moving to play in the top fourteen is not the kind of thing you go to improve yourself as a player. But it is the kind of place where you go to improve yourself as a person. Hmm. You know, different life experience. And you know what? I can't blame him at all. Like, how exciting would that be for a, for a young man of his age to go abroad and say, you know what? I'm going to play week week in, week out in a different league for for a few years. Sure, my bank manager will be a lot happier as well, but honestly can't blame him at all. No, and I, and I suppose uh, his mentor, um, Tunie, did it. And, you know, although yep. it, it cost me Scotland um, a, a few fair few Scotland caps, but he benefited from it. So, yeah, I think it's probably a good thing. Rory? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it's... Uh... It's probably the right thing. It was. It, I think it was probably on the cards ever since. Um, ever since that kind of uh, the, the games against Racing last year, that's when the rumours seemed to seem to, to kick off. Um, and I think it was it was probably inevitable that that, that sooner or later the French the French clubs would uh, come come with their uh, their checkbooks open or their um, their uh, Amex gold cards or whatever. Um, I mean, it, it's. I guess. There is the uh, there is the fact that it will give someone else a chance um, at Glasgow to to work on you know to work on their play whether that's Adam Hastings whether that's Pete, Pete Horn um, there were some other rumours uh, in MIDI today about uh, Edinburgh looking at a guy called Simon Hickey who's a is a, a standoff um, originally from Auckland who's been playing for Bordeaux um, which would if they did sign him that would be another there's no word on whether he's Scots qualified or not, but it doesn't seem like it. Um, they've, they've also signed a South African uh, playmaker last week, which is which is definite. So that would be potentially alongside Jason Tilly. That would be three non-Scots qualified standoffs at Edinburgh with uh, Duncan Weir sort of rapidly fading into the background. So um, if if Finn does move out of the way, at least there is a kind of open pathway for for young standoffs to to play at, at Glasgow in the in the you know the next couple of years, um, I was pondering your question from Twitter yesterday about what um, Finn's French accent would sound like, Rory, and I, I think it's going to be um, I've gone with Christopher Lambert in Highlander. <laughs> oh yes, what a yeah. movie! Yeah, but I, th- I, th- I think that's probably I think I think that's what we can expect from Finn in France. I think it might be a bit more like Sean Connery's Spanish accent. <laughs> <laughs> Equally, equally uh, comprehensible as well. Yeah. You know what? I have uh, I have something that combines your where is Doogie, Do- Doogie Donnelly and and your rumours. I heard a, a heinous rumour that Rob Robertson, the uh, Daily Mail's rugs, rugby writer in Scotland, isn't actually bald. He shaves his head to leave a horseshoe so that he looks more distinctive. I don't know if that's true or not. I might have made it up. But <laughs> that's exactly the sort of rumour that we want. Um, Rory, have you heard anything? Well, you see, I had a, I had a very nice um, horse racing metaphor for the Finn Russell thing, but you've just totally blown that out of the water. So oh. um, I saw I saw Fraser Brown in an, in an oddballs hat at Murrayfield on uh, on Saturday. That's that's as, as far as I got. <laughs> Yeah, it's time for Hands in the Rockets or any other business section of the podcast. It's um, time for um, us to um, let you know what's been bothering us uh, this week. Uh, Alan, 
what's had its hands in your ruck this week? Uh, the phrase war of words or the idea that it, basically the cult of celebrity for head coaches. Um, this is born mainly out of Eddie Jones versus Checker. This weekend we've also got uh, we've also got Steve Hansen reacquainting himself with Warren Gatland. And I mean, t- okay, Townsend's not the kind to fall into that, but just the concept that coaches' words in the public are so important and that they have an impact on on the way a game is played afterwards. I mean, to me, that's just I don't know what you guys think, but to me, it's just absolute nonsense. You know, it's that old idea of. And actually, it came from the Zinzan Brook thing as well. Of oh, they'll be pinning that up in the dressing room. No one cares. Like if you're a player, it's hard enough keeping track of what's going on in training, the calls that you've got, the moves that you've worked on, the the rapport you're trying to build with the guy that you don't actually play with that often. Sometimes, okay, that doesn't matter with the all Glasgow backline. But you know, if you're playing with guys you don't know that well, there's so many things going on in your head as well as going the actual players on the pitch. Something that some older guys say. <laughs> on the sidelines is of no consequence to you whatsoever. I don't know how you two feel about that. No, it's I, something that winds me up. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I've said in the past, it's just, it's it's the oldest trick in the book. It's complete deflection. The idea that, you know, Checker's mouthing off and that the story is now Michael Checker had a go at somebody in the crowd rather than Australia got beat. And the same thing with Eddie Jones. Rather than England didn't play that well against Argentina, it's Eddie Jones swore on telly. And, and that's what those coaches big up in the press conferences. And it's it's dull. I find it boring. I much prefer to... I mean, the interview that um, Tom English um, and I can't remember who else did with um, Gregor Townsend on Facebook this week was much more interesting. They asked him genuine questions about stats and performance and the way Scotland were going to play and the way New Zealand play. And that's much more interesting than whether Eddie Jones swore on telly or Michael Checker had an argument with someone in the stands or whether... Warren Gatland and Steve Hansen are going to shake hands on Sunday because I, I couldn't care less. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think probably some of it's to do with the... They also do it to take take a bit of attention away from the players. Sure, um, yeah. Because they need, you know, as Alan says, there's a lot for the players to worry about. So they just, he says, right, you guys get on with it. And then and Warren Gatland will go and throw a hand grenade in and start pretending that people are scared of having the roof closed or, you know, some something like that. Um but yeah, I mean, I, maybe maybe it's because at the very top level, you know, once the coach has done the basic preparation, he's got nothing left to do for the rest of the week. So he thinks, well, I'll just cause some mischief because why not? Well, yeah, I thought it was actually quite sad after the Scotland game. It struck me that um, when um, Kieran Reid came off the pitch and he was genuinely, you could see he was smiling and grinning because he genuinely enjoyed playing a game of rugby and was effusive yeah. about how great the Scots were. And it was like, I've just had a really good game of rugby with you know, 30 other guys on a pitch and I've had a whale of a time. And then, you know, Steve Hansen comes on and starts mourning about the referee and it just sort of soured the sort of message that Kieran Reid had given about, which I think is what, you know, sort of hate talking about this idea of rugby values, but that that is a much more enjoyable thing to hear on, you know, a player coming off the pitch saying, I enjoy playing the opposition, they played a great game, well done everybody, then someone coming off and going, oh, I didn't really think my the decisions went my way, which is... Dull. Cameron, if you've got a drink in front of you, you have to down it now for using the phrase rugby value. <laughs> <laughs> I have an empty glass of wine in front of me, so um, yeah. <laughs> Done it already. <laughs> Done it already. Um, Rory, your hands in the ruck? Uh, my hands in the ruck is uh, the fallout from the World Cup announcement. Um, in particular, all the sort of finger pointing that has, that has followed the... the um, the news that the, the 2023 World Cup is going to be in France rather than South Africa or Ireland. Um, I was, you know, I was actually quite a big fan of the World Cup going to Ireland. Um, I don't really have much of a desire to go to South Africa, sorry, South Africa. And uh, I've been to a World Cup in France in the lifetime of this website, just about. Um, the obviously when the 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 big report came out a few weeks back that had kind of done all the detailed analysis into the various bids and concluded that South Africa was the best place to uh, to send it. Um, and then most of the people who had the, you know, the voting blocks decided that they didn't really care much, that much about what the report said and, and kind of went in their own different way for their own different reasons. Um, Ireland, a few of their guys came out and said that the SRU had followed the money um, and 
they were kind of disappointed in Scotland and Wales at not sort of backing them. But I mean, Wales had uh, they had a Welshman on the the committee that you know put the report together. They were they weren't going to sort of cut him off at the knees. Um, there was also I saw some rumours on Twitter that perhaps there might have been the the old um, game swapping um, going on um, with sort of maybe promising a couple of games to Scotland or Wales in return for the you know in return for their votes, which I can see why they do it, but you know I, I'm personally uh, you know I'm a fan of a World Cup being all really in in one country. Um, if Ireland didn't have the stadiums, then they shouldn't really have uh, a bid for it. Um, I, I would have loved to go to a World Cup in Ireland, but if you didn't get it, I think sort of point pointing pointing fingers about and when your bid, especially when your bid was was sort of marked the lowest of the of the three, is a little bit uh, a little bit unsporting. Um, yeah, I think that's the the thing that has been most unedifying about the whole pr- process is I, I'm of the belief that I mean for 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 a, for a start, World Rugby changed the bidding process so that whatever happened, they were going to make some good money out of it. You know, you had to have money set aside uh, a minimum of 120 million pounds and and pounds that is because because that's what World Rugby operate with. And a minimum, and that had to be underwritten by your your government. So the government had to say we have the funds to back that. Um, then you had to be able to cover the operational costs again, underwritten by uh, by the the government. And then also there was the option of taking over the catering. So whatever happened, World Rugby, because of the changes to the process, we're going to do really well financially. So once you have that, all the chat about who's going to make the most money or whatsoever. That's where that's what sways the council because whatever happens, it's going to be a World Cup that can deliver the deliver the the funds that that are needed. And the, I think the the problem is then if you just put your blindfold on and said so and so's won it. Well, we've seen the bids. We know it's great, fantastic. But in the build up, it was the moaning um, after the after the recommendation, and then the and moaning and with the fallout afterwards as if there was betrayal um, and what's going on, it's like, well the decision's made Yeah, yeah it's going to be a World Cup, we'll still be, it'll still be an incredible World Cup. Yeah, and I think, I think the thing with everyone going, what's going on about the report and saying, oh it's supposed to make it transparent and everyone's gone against the report, well I think the report forced everybody's hand and then it made everybody say why they'd voted against the report, so that's transparency before you didn't have that report then everybody would just clam up not give their reasons and that would be the way it went but at least it made the likes of Scotland say yeah we, we, we disregarded the report and we went with the money so it makes it transparent in a way yeah well I'd, I'd, that's the thing is I would love to see why the votes have to be hidden I don't know so you know we've heard of who's voted for who but that's because of a lot of digging that's been done it should be a completely open process in that yeah. respect mm-hmm. the, the rounds of, uh, of voting they should, people should say X voted for Y and that's that's what's happened here and uh, and that's the process. I, I'm, I'm all for people explaining themselves and, and giving as much detail as possible. But the thing that I think the thing that sticks in my craw is people say, "Oh, this was meant to be transparent, and you were supposed to know everything about it, and to ensure that there's no cronyism and that no one's just looking after each other." That's why we want it to be transparent. And then turning around and going, "Oh, my Celtic mate hasn't voted for me." That's disgrace. <laughs> well, that would also be cronyism, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I've gone for the hacker and hand hand wringing about the hacker. Um, there were quite a few people who were insistent that everybody should just stand reverential um, whilst New Zealand did the hacker. And I don't know what your guys' opinion on it is, but um, I, t- I actually tweeted um, Paul, who runs the Driving Mall Twitter account and does rugby chat, and asked him because he's got a take on it being uh, based over in New Zealand. And his view is the players don't really care that much I think so long as and I think respect probably comes in different forms you know cheering and chanting for me would show as much respect as as silence it's meeting the challenge um I think obviously that if you overstep the bounds and actually go face to face with a mala Richard Cockerell that's maybe not giving it the respect but I don't I don't think fans or um, players should be sort of made to stand in silence and face it yeah, I mean, we saw the the um, the one at the Rugby League World Cup between Tonga and New Zealand. Um, a few that was a, a week or so back. I was posted on Twitter, and I mean, the 
the the the two teams got right up in each other's faces. Um, but I mean, the crowd noise there was ridiculous. You know, there were there were um, people on both sides kind of screaming and chanting and, and making noise. So I I don't think it needs needs a sort of reverential silence. I mean, as you as you say, it's kind of a challenge, but. Um, Okay, it's the 15 guys on the pitch that essentially have to do the bulk of the dealing with the challenge. But there's no reason that the remaining 60,000 can't say, "Well, yeah, but we're on their team. You know, we're we're on their side." I've in in recent years, of uh, my view on this has uh, has arrived at the conclusion that if you, how much does it cost to buy a ticket to a game like that? You know, you're paying through the nose to watch international rugby. You worked hard all week. And this is your chance to to get caught up in emotion, to cheer for your team, and to have a really good day out. And you're paying a fortune for the privilege of doing that. I think you should be able to cheer and shout and boo and hiss and sing whenever and for whatever you like. Mm. That's that's my view on it. Is so I'm not really that fussed about people booing kickers because people were making you'd hope people were making lots and lots of noise, and you've got to make a, a, a sharp decision in the middle of the park. Or you've got to throw in a line out um, from the sidelines when people are shouting and cheering, and a kick really shouldn't be any different. I also believe that players are so focused, they're so zoned, zoned in, and particularly for a hacker, which I imagine must be a very emotional thing. I don't see it as disrespectful to, to shout. You, fans should be allowed to do that if they want. I don't, I don't see it making a difference because it would also seem bloody weird <laughs> more than yeah, anything yeah. else if there was complete silence uh, at stadiums. I mean. Although what I would say is if the people stopped playing music and allowed natural crowd noise yes. to play any, anyway, it would make a much better atmosphere. But that's I, a whole other hands in the ruck. I did. Oh, I, I did note. I did. Next time. Well, I was going to say I did notice after last week's podcast that they stopped playing. Oh, oh, oh it's magic this week. So I don't know if anybody <laughs> from the SRU tunes in, but um, we're clearly affecting some change. Um, okay. I, well, the the uh, da- the sort of dancey mix of the proclaimers that they had. Uh, <laughs> If they could stop that one too, yeah. I, but they did play Caledonia. They did play Caledonia though, and when they stopped playing it, I was quite disappointed. I would have happily sat and listened to that. Well, they, yeah. they, they, I think it's one of the first times I've heard the crowd carry on singing Loch Lomond for a while. So, um, yeah, that was quite nice to hear. Yeah. The one thing I thought was really, I mean, if you're going to sort of take this thing out of a hacker, the best thing Scotland could have done, which they did, was just send Doddy Weir on with the match ball. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that wasn't offensive to the All Blacks in any way, that created its own kind of atmosphere and that was a really special moment uh, for a lot of people and you know what, to have those two things back to back what I was saying to a lot of people, in fact I think I might have turned to uh, to Rory after the game and said was, imagine that was if that was your first game of Test Rugby hmm. that was your first experience of going to Murrayfield, what a cracker you got because you yeah. had everything, the atmosphere the, the pre-match entertainment wasn't nauseating beforehand, it was pitched perfectly, the Crowd noise was fantastic, and then you had that moment with Doddy, and then the game itself was fan- was exceptional. Lucky ducks you getting to watch that for your first game. Well, I think that's probably as good a point as any to leave it. Um, thank you very much, Alan, for joining us. Um, no thank you for having me. Don't forget, uh, you can uh, make a comment on the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, follow us on Twitter at scottrugbyblog. Find us somehow on Facebook. I never remember how. Uh, don't forget to leave us reviews on Apple Podcast. I got in trouble from Social Tighthead uh, on Twitter because I forgot to say that it was him that said he was pleased we weren't FP harumpers. Uh, and I only worked out this week what FP stands for. Um, but uh, we will be back next week after the Australia game. Uh, and for the moment, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Alan and Rory. Goodbye. Draw me like one of your French girls. <sighs> it's uh, no. facebook.com Facebook forward slash Scottish Drugby Blog. I'll never remember that.